Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast. This is Steve English and Gordon Ritchie sitting in the middle of Catalonia after one of the, probably the most exciting rounds that we can really remember. Definitely an action-packed round of World SBK. We had Jonathan Ray taking another step towards a World Championship. We had lots of riders having big crashes and uh, injury ruling out a few. We had replacement riders coming in. We had technical issues. We had... A massive storm that created a, well, a storm in a teacup in World Supersport at one stage. And uh, Gordo, this is your first time in uh, the Circuit de Catalunya in a long time, but this was a great round. Oh, it was fantastic. Uh, it was. It looked as if it was going to be a good race, partly because even though everybody tested, nobody raced, and testing's testing and racing's racing. Uh, but I don't think anybody could have predicted exactly what happened, even from the weather. The weather made a huge difference to the weekend uh, and, you know, certain people were having, pro- even people that ended up winning races were having technical problems early in the weekend. There was a million unpredictable things happening on the bikes with the people, as you say, injuries. It was, you know, it, it, it was difficult to look at something and, and uh, think that that was go- the way things were going to be on the weekend and it turned out the way it was. Everything was different and uh, that's what we've been missing in this championship for a lot of years and the last few it's coming on again we have total unpredictability new people on the podium again it was just awesome um, you don't know where to start seven different winners ten different guys on the podium through this season another weekend where you had three different winners for the three race I think that's four out of the six rounds we've had three different winners and uh, yeah this was another weekend where uh, you could see that some bikes worked a little bit better than others but you still needed to hook it all up and that's where we saw three different guys hook it up each day. Yeah, and three very different races. Uh, a sudden change for Davies, suddenly finding himself in, not just in the window but in the middle of the window, looking confident and good. Uh, a very good battle put up uh, until his front tyre went in that final race by Van der Mark and then he found himself uh, with Strange Company. Not sure how to handle it because he wasn't expecting that particular guy. Uh, and... Um, no, it was the three races completely different is what we want. The top guys are always going to be the top guys, but it shows you now how important, especially throwing that curveball of a new track with a different grip characteristic, partly because of the rain, and a changing grip characteristic over the weekend, partly because of the rain, partly because people getting a long run, partly because the temperatures have gone down from when they tested. There was a lot of variables true variables this weekend. Just uh, to start about the grip levels, this was a weekend where obviously we saw big rain come in on Friday and Saturday. It washed away all the rubber that had gone down. It changed everything. And it meant that in FP1, everyone had to sort of spend two sessions worth of runs to try and get it all done in one session. Uh, We went out on Saturday and obviously the Super Bowl session is all about what you're able to do on the Q-Tire, what you're able to do on that one lap. We went into race one and it was a big step into the unknown. That's always when we see Johnny Ray at his best. He's always able to use all the information of six years with the Kawasaki, six years with Pararriba, six years of just that confidence building. And this was where he went out in race one and was immediately able to get down to his pace. But as the weekend progressed we saw that the Kawasaki was struggling around Catalonia. It wasn't where we're used to seeing it. It seemed it was an awful lot tougher for them. But that one opening race of the weekend, that was where all the perfect storm really for Jonathan Ray to come in, do a good job and give himself a really solid foundation for the weekend. Yeah, it was very important to to get those big points on the board, um, given where he's fighting in the championship. Um, Again, he put a gap on early, 
so got the psychological advantage. Um, he had no particularly big issues in the first race. He did end up having some in the, the second long race. Um, break issues again, but different to the ones he had on Friday. Because remember, he lost half of FP1 on Friday. And then we had the, the weather change. So he didn't actually arrive in the, the best possible shape and still managed to win the first race. So that package, Jonathan, the people he works with, we know what they can do. Uh, they're the most consistent people there. So even when they have issues, the, he can either ride round them finally. He's the final part of Jigsaw. And how many times have we seen him make up for an imperfect bike? His bike is definitely not as fast as a lot of the other bikes now. Um, it's not as modern. It doesn't handle quite as well. But it doesn't have any glaring problems, especially for his riding style. And with all that experience and all those championship wins and all the people that are helping in the background, and then Johnny, as the team will tell you, gets on the bike and makes a difference anyway. So even when they're not ready, Johnny can still find a way of winning. That is the mark of a true, truly great rider, which in superbike terms, Jonathan Ray is. There's no question anymore. There never was for a while. But I mean, now, just every year he seems to be more and more. And he's going away. We weren't expecting this. We were expecting a battle all the way and we might still get it. But I don't think anybody expected us to be where we are now and Johnny over 50 points ahead. Yeah, I don't think even Johnny would have expected it. And Gordo, just you mentioned he had problems on Sunday because during the race I sort of presumed that it was a bit like what happened to him in Hareth where the front just wasn't working quite well because we saw him dive in a couple of times trying to make moves, not able to get the bike stopped. And it reminded me of what we saw from him that time in Hareth whenever he was struggling. What was the big issue for him? Uh, he said that when he went in, there was a vibration from the front whenever he was using the brakes. Um, and the front end was basically giving him a bit of a vibration, uh, kind of high frequency vibration. Um, so he thinks there may have, and I don't know this, and he didn't at the time, but he thinks there may have been an issue with the discs or something mismatched or whatever. But a front end vibration is how he described it. And obviously that also uh, made his tyre, his, his final grip level, his tyre not perfect either. So that's part of the reason why he wasn't um, where he wanted to be in the long race on Sunday. Um, but yes, front end, vibration, bit of a, a bit of a problem. But again, he, hand, he was able to handle it. It was, the, it was just the lack of uh, front grip, feel, whatever, that, that kept him back, stopped him be, having the confidence to push on. And obviously, whether he says it or not, he's now in championship management mode. And uh, Gordo, just when you look at Kawasaki, when you look at Ray, obviously you say that he's into that championship management mode now. He's obviously got the chance to win it next time out in Magni Corps, make it six in a row. But when you look at Kawasaki over the years, that bike hasn't changed from, what, 2011, 2012? It's made upgrades, but it's the same basic bike since then. So it's, it's the oldest bike on the grid. But that team and, and Johnny in particular are always able to just keep chipping away and keep finding a little bit more, a little bit more performance. But like when you compare it to the Yamaha's newer, the Honda's obviously newer, the Ducati's newer, a newer BMW as well. Like it is probably the oldest bike on the grid. And certainly in terms of the design and the overall architecture, even the board and stroke ratios, that is this bike should be outclassed now. Um, and you notice that the Kawasaki privateers are not the leading privateers. Um, but as a rounded package, all that effort that's been put in over the years means it works everywhere. And that is obviously enough when you have a rider like Jonathan on it. You notice that Alex had some problems and issues this weekend that he wasn't expecting to have. He was ill at Aragon, and even then he had good results, considering how ill he was. 
Then he comes here, he tested, he was expecting to do really well here and it just didn't happen. So it's also possible to not get the bike right and settings and, and everything else. Um, I think that you have to get everything right, but when you do, the Kawasaki is still competitive. But on paper, it's not. But we're not racing paper. We're racing real motorbikes and real people. Um, and when you get everything right, 99% of the time, you'll get good results in 99% of the time. Yeah, and this was another weekend where we saw that just that Ray finds a way to maximise his bad results, whereas we saw his chief championship rival, Scott Redding, not do that. We saw another weekend where Redding had decent potential. Again, race, race one, he was on the podium. And then it was a strange decision. I couldn't understand that not using the SCX tyre in the Super Bowl race. But... What, what was the what was the logic behind that whenever you talked um, to him? He said that the pace was about the same. He noticed a drop after seven laps on the X, and obviously the race is 10. So just when he needed tyre, he, he thought he might not have any. So he reckoned if, he, if, if the, the actual pace he could do on the SCX and the SC0 were similar, then he would have three laps of better tyre than the other guys at the end. Obviously, that was the exact opposite of what happened. Um, and he just didn't have the grip and the push through the race. Is that one of those cases where if everything runs according to plan, you use the SC0? Or is it one of those cases where you're in a race, you can't think about what the potential pace is going to be or what grip you're going to have at the end of it. You need to be in track position is more important than pace. Um, the 10 lap race is, is such a sprint, literally, um, that you just go with the maximum you've got. And if you end up two or three places down because you've lost more grip than the other guy right at the end well that's fine but you have to get to the front because otherwise you've then got to try and overtake four or five guys um, and Scott's experience in that race was definitely a lesson he really doesn't like even having the X tyre here he really doesn't like it for the big races he said he can't use it and fair enough it's uh, not everybody can by any means but you have to at least try it in that 10 lapper because it's it's that's what it's designed for and it's the performances of people on the X are a lot better now because people are getting their head around it it's not really changed according to Pirelli you know through the year it's just that people are now learning more about it and saying you know what if we do that we'll get another four laps out of it in theory and people are doing it um, and obviously the lighter riders can probably handle it better but yeah, it was a very weird decision. To me, that 10-lap race, you use a 10-lap tyre, and that's it. But it shows you how much Scott really doesn't like that tyre that he d even decided not to. His colleague said it was him, his decision. Um, unfortunately, he paid a price, and he knows he did, and, and all credit to him. He was honest enough to say that. He didn't try and blame anybody or anything else, uh, which is another one of the many endearing things that's made uh, Scott Redden a star in this championship already, as well as uh, a genuine championship competitor. What have you made of Scott since he came into the championship? Obviously, it's been a long time since you were able to, to have anything to do with him, really, because you only went to a few Grand Prix early in his I never, career. I, I don't know the guy. I didn't know the guy before this year. Um, I think I spoke to him once at a GP. Um, I, I'd heard all the things about him. I'd seen what he can do. Uh, his attitude, I've, I've said to him since he came here, I said, you're a superbike rider. And his attitude, this is the way a lot of superbike riders used to be, the way Scott just says what he likes. Um, he's honest, he doesn't he, he doesn't try and sugarcoat things. If he's criticising someone or criticising himself, this is quite a lot of superbike riders were like that. And, you know, and all the tattoos and all the, you know, it, it, it's just a wee bit, uh, in a good way, a bit of Larry. And that's great. 
that's that is we've been missing a bit of that uh, over the years. So yeah, I've got a lot of time for the guy, um, and he's very good with the media. He likes to give all his time. He, he gives us good quotes. All we want from the riders is someone that we can key into and go, "Wow, that was good, right? Make story out of that." And he's given us that all the time. Even when it goes badly for him, there's still a good story that the people want to read. There's a lot of interest that because they know Scott Redding's going to say something interesting, win, lose, or draw. And that's a gift. No, he's great. He's been great for the championship. There's obviously a lot of people who want to see him do well. Um, I'd love to see us get into the final round and still not quite sure who's going to win. Um, but I think the World Superbike is, is a bit tougher than people who come into it really think. Um, I think he was more realistic than most. But given the start he had, um, even through the COVID delay and everything else, you kind of did think he might be a bit closer. There's been a few weird results, disappointing results. Um, and that's what he needs to work on for next year. Yeah, because for me, like obviously I've I've known Scott from earlier in his Grand Prix career and when you look at him then compared to now, he's very similar to what he was like all the way through his Grand Prix career. And he's definitely, like you said, Gordo, he's much more in tune for the Superbike paddock than the Grand Prix paddock. Folger's a bit like that as well, actually. That's where it would be interesting to see what um, what he had to say after the weekend. But for someone like Redding, I think talent's never going to be an issue. He works well with Giovanni, his crew chief. And uh, it's just a question of, again, like you said, I think it's tougher than people give a credit for in Superbikes. And I think it's tougher on the Ducati than even we give a credit for at times because we know how good that bike can be. We know the potential of that bike and it probably makes us a bit too critical at times of the riders on the Ducati. And I think Scott, like you said, probably found it that this year's a bit harder than what he would have expected after Hareth in particular. And then I think that you go to Portimao, you know that's going to be Johnny territory. So you come away from that and you do as well as you can. Scott struggled a bit in Portimao, but we knew that Ducati could potentially struggle a bit there. We went to Aragon. I think that was the big yeah. surprise and for him. Them. Big surprise for yeah. everyone. Yeah. But I think for Scott, it's now really a case of Magni Core and then the final round of the year and a brand new circuit in Estoril. It's about trying to see what he can get from the rest of the season. I think, like you said, he's been the second best rider through the season so far. That's where he finds himself second in the championship. But I think we all would have expected him to be a bit closer to Johnny than where he is right now. But it's also worth remembering that even the way that this season's been incredibly competitive, it's just tough on superbikes. It is, and there's a lot more competition now. A bad weekend now means that you're fourth, fifth, sixth. You're not second or third. Um, there's a lot of people risen to the top this year that, again, we you just couldn't have predicted at the beginning of the season. Um, there is a lot more strength and depth in reality, not just on paper. There's been quite a few years in the world of superbike where you've looked at it on paper and thought, you know what? This is going to be a good year, and Johnny just romps away. Ori and other, uh, look at Bautista. Um, you know that just wasn't supposed to happen. It wasn't supposed to happen, uh, but it still ended up not winning. So there's something not right in Ducati, and I'm not being critical of the, them as a company, but there's something not right when they could nearly win the championship last year, um, and you know, and then fall apart in the second half of the year, and have the kind of results they can have this year, and it's taking Chaz Davies until now. To, to get to the point whereby he's happy with the front and the rear end of his bike, year and a half in. I mean, that's a long time. Yeah, the one thing with it is that, uh, and you see it in football, you see it in racing, you see it in any number of sports, 
people get into their rhythm and they either know how to win or they don't. And until you actually beat Ray over the course of a full season, whether it's a season like this year where we've got less rounds or whether it's a normal 13 round season, until you actually go out and beat him for 13 rounds, you're not that, you're not made for it. And suddenly for Ducati over the last five, six years, they've just been used to winning races, but not winning championships. And it takes until it clicks into place. And as ridiculous as it is to say for a company like Ducati, this had all their success, but until they actually win another championship, they're just a really fast manufacturer that can win races. And when you're up against Ray, that's what's the biggest challenge because Ray's always going to be able to just keep grinding. And Scott, maybe next season with a bit more experience, another year with the bike, another year for the team to fully understand everything. That's the year when it clicks into place. Consistency is the only thing they need. They have everything else. They can win races and win them well. Uh, they could win races out of the park last year for the first half of the year. It was astonishing to watch. I mean, it really was. I've never seen anything like that. Foggy in his pomp. Nothing touched it. And then it went, it just fell apart. This year has been an improvement in the general level, uh, but not consistency-wise. When you understand how your bike works, you should then be able to replicate it, allowing for everything else. So either the bike is so tricky they can't, or they're, they're just not driving the bus properly, as it were. Yeah, and talking to Leon Camier, obviously he has experience of the bike, having ridden this over the course of the winter for Barney, but uh, obviously not able to race it this year. What he said was that basically this bike is just the biggest knife edge he's ever ridden. It's got so much potential to be great, but if it's not in that right window, it's just, it's so tricky to make to make it work. And we're going to shift on from Ducati in general. And you mentioned there, Gordo, about we saw some guys get to the front again in the class. Obviously, you were talking about the Yamaha riders, but you mentioned Chaz as well. Chaz showed again this weekend. It's, and we've talked about this before in the pod, it's literally only qualifying that's the issue for him. If he's able to qualify well, he doesn't have to come through the pack. Yes, I know. I would agree and disagree with that point because because of what Chaz said. Um, because it was put to him on Sunday that he obviously had a much better uh, Super Bowl race and therefore got a much better start. And that was part of the reason why he had a good result. And he just said no. Because he said if he had, he had the bike on Sunday, which was fundamentally changed at the rear, not parts, but geometry, etc., um, but big a change and obviously worked and very, worked very well uh, that was a big difference for him he reckoned he would have the pace to challenge for the win even starting from way back in the first race if he had the settings of the second race so it was all settings for him yes obviously it helps a final result in tr- early track position and everything else uh, less in the longer race than the short race but he reckoned it was all set up, and that's the fascinating thing to see now. The Ducati riders who might be taking things to Jonathan, if they can replicate this when we get to Magnicure, and then Estoril, might be Chaz, might not be Scott. I think it's so easy to forget how good Chaz has been, especially with that feat win. When he had that bike working well, he's the only rider, obviously Bautista last year, but in that era, he was the only rider that was able to actually consistently week after week take a fight to Johnny and not be not be overawed whenever he went into a toe-to-toe battle. He always thought he could, he could win it. Yes. And uh, maybe last weekend in Catalonia, it's going to be the best thing to happen for Chaz because potentially now Ducati will look at it and say, okay, we've got Scott under contract for next year. How about we just keep Chaz and we put Rinaldi 
into go 11 again for another year. Everyone's on a one year contract and, you know, it's up until round six or whatever. Yeah. And then whoever's the top two Ducati riders, we're, we're keeping them. Yeah. Um, it's fascinating to see. Uh, I wouldn't want to make that decision because it must be tempting for an Italian company that's got a winning Italian rider who's obviously not done one race and then gone away. He would have had a good race if he didn't have a, a, a problem in the second race. So ultimately, that's the horns of a dilemma for them. But who would I choose? I don't know. But if you can guarantee Scott to be more consistent next year or the bike to be more consistent for Scott next year, obviously he's signed anyway. But Chaz, yeah, you, you, now he's won a race and done it the way he did and did it because of engineering and setup. Maybe that's like, well, okay, now now we know what kind of bike to give Chaz. It took a while to get that V-twin working, remember? But when he did, Chaz was kind of there and thereabouts all the time. And, um, you know, usually the guy you expected to finish second. He alternated with Sykes, usually when Sykes was on Kawasaki. But, yeah, it was a, that was a tricky bike. This is a different tricky bike. This is a big change uh, that Chaz wasn't used to. So it's taken them a while. But as Chaz said, to give him the support, he could probably be the rider he was, you don't get worse. You just don't get worse as a rider. He's not, so that's now, what, 31 wins for Chaz? Took a while to get from 30 to 31, but I mean, you know, it was it was very impressive. Yeah, no, for me, if I was Ducati, I'd certainly be looking at it where, okay, we're not going to pay you as much next year, but maybe go down that Bautista road of bigger bonuses, and suddenly it makes a lot more sense to be able to keep Chaz keep motivated. Mick Doohan was always the best man for that. He used to talk in terms of, he never got a podium bonus, he only got a win bonus. Because if he was sitting second, he wanted all the money on the line to be able to go out and take that win. And sometimes that can make a difference. Obviously for someone like Chaz, he's, it's, money's not an issue. Motivation's no. not an issue. No. But sometimes just having that extra little he, emphasis. He just needs to have the bike right. He needs to know he can win. Um, and he needs to have the bike right to do it. Um, he's he's won races and got podiums when the bike wasn't right because on a, he's a, as much as he's a he thinks a lot about the racing and the setup more than most riders um, and needs it right more than most riders. He's still a Sunday morning man, so he'll still give you result just on on sheer determination, experience, etc. But he gives you when you give him a bike, he'll give you wins and he'll give you lots of them. So that's is another dynamic that changed at the weekend. It's an old dynamic, if you like. It's an established dynamic, Chaz and Ducati. But it might be another new, genuine force for next year. Maybe there'll be two Ducatis challenging Johnny next year. Yeah, we heard Redding talk about it on Sunday as well. He was talking in terms of he'd like to keep Chaz just because having another rider of that same size makes a big difference compared to Rinaldi, a much smaller rider. But when you look at Rinaldi, you mentioned that he used the SEX tyre in race one on Saturday and just fell off a cliff in the final four or five laps but uh, for Rinaldi this was a weekend that was really important to be able to build on what happened in Aragon where he was so strong and then this weekend he was able to run at the front in race one before that tyre dropped off and then race two he was running up in fourth position before he had a technical issue I think there was external influences that prevented him from getting some of the results that he did but the pure results he got but that was a very confident uh, follow on weekend it wasn't Climbing the top of the mountain and then it all suddenly you've lost something. You know, you, you lose focus or whatever. No, he was absolutely there. And let's look at another rider that had a really good Aragon and then went to Catalonia trying to prove a point. Alvaro Bautista on the Honda. This was a weekend where really important for Honda to come in and have good results. Bautista, obviously a massive crash in the Super Bowl race, 
but we saw again a few flashes from the Honda. No, Honda's got all the parts. I think there's no question of it now. Um, everything's there. It's super fast. It's got all the elements to win. It's just still items in a box that need to be put together in the correct order. You need to build the beast, but the, I think that bike is a beast. I think it's a proper thing. Um, I think it's got all the stuff there. Maybe if they started again, they'd build a slightly different chassis. Maybe they'd do this in the engine, blah, blah, blah. But I think already it, all they need is just the stars to align, and they're there. I think obviously Alvaro's got it. I think the bike's got it. But it's just not quite right yet. But look at Charles, a year and a half it took him to get this new V4 fixed. Hopefully it won't take Honda that long. And that was round six at the weekend. We're halfway through the season in a normal season. COVID didn't help anybody in development. They stopped people going to work. You know, there was a lot of stuff, number crunching them, but there wasn't a lot of reality they could check because they weren't allowed to go anywhere or do anything. So that whole project's been kind of halted or certainly not back. Yeah, definitely stopped me getting paid. I'm not sure it's stopped Aye. me working. But uh, for Honda Gordo, this is a, a, another weekend where we saw really good top speed from, from the bike. It's clearly the, the strong calling card of that bike. But we also saw just how manoeuvrable it is. Obviously, the, with Bautista's crash, we saw it was a bit too manoeuvrable, a bit too uh, loose at the rear. But that seems to be, when you talk to riders that follow the Honda, they do talk about how quick it is to turn, yes. which obviously could be a factor for what happened with Alvaro. But uh, the bike as a base package, it's definitely one you want to be on. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the... Uh, I actually wrote a column about this recently. Uh, which bike would you want to be on in Super Superbike? Um, Where'd you write that column, Gordo? I can't tell you. No, uh, I wrote that for David. Um, but ultimately, yeah, there's, there's, there's any of those bikes. There's, all the bikes are good now. The BMW's disappointing. But the Honda... I think is a bike of the future. That, to me, if you are going to come into the championship, you may as well take the Honda because you'll also be able to mould that final Honda from, as I say, all that box of bits that they've got that are clearly good enough to be competitive in this championship. Uh, it's such a conventional bike in many ways, but it's absolutely on the top level. They the, the have brought HRC and all their knowledge into this. Um, it's been a very, very difficult start for a million reasons and obviously they do have some kind of uh, limit on their engines now um, it's a road bike and therefore you can't just change it now, they would, as I say now they might change a couple of things on the bike and they can't because they've built it but I still think that even relative to other manufacturers that they've got more now in the garage that just needs to be yeah that is a potentially championship winning package right there just maybe not the second well, let's talk riders for Honda. Obviously, Bautista's under contract, has them still not confirmed. We saw in Aragon, Leon rode very well, but uh, the more delay there is in making an announcement, the more uncertainty there is. And there's a lot of uncertainty with regards to that project as well. When you talk to Leon after Aragon, and one of the biggest issues is that uh, the uncertainty about the Suzuka eight hours and different things that could potentially be a bit of a spanner in the works. Yeah, it's a very difficult position there. Uh, what, are, what are Honda going to do next year? Because it's a really big investment they've got. They've obviously now got a massive problem in MotoGP as well to distract them. Um, There's no what, problem in MotoGP. Mark will be back soon. Um, no, it just shows you that the, the, they've, they've done a very good thing there, but they, they need to get everything right, and that includes the riders. 
the eight hour is obviously part of the reason that bike exists. The World Superbike doesn't exist in isolation for the Japanese manufacturers. There is also it's also the bike that they use for BSB and all the other championships, World Endurance. But one of those World Endurance rounds is the super super special Suzuki Eight Hour. So Honda built that bike with at least one eye on the Eight Hour, and then every other single racing class they do except MotoGP is based on the the new Fireblade. So. Yeah, choosing the riders and, and what they're going to do is is a very difficult one and uh, I wouldn't want to be in Leon's position right now because it's, it just seems a bit unsure. The easy thing for me to do next year is to carry on because then you've kept that experience and so on. But uh, I think, as even Leon said, they don't maybe don't even know the size and shape of next year. Are we going to have long hauls next year? I mean, we could bring a million different things in. There's a, the, we don't know what next year is going to be. Yeah, that's one of the big things that's going to be interesting to see what happens when all the calendars come out for racing next year. Obviously, it looks like racing's going to start a little bit later in the year than what we've been typically used to, to try and give as much of a buffer as possible. And you mentioned it there, Gordo, all races are equal, but something like Suzuka is a bit more equal than others. And that's going to play a big factor in making a decision for it. Just wanted to touch on different different topic for you. Obviously, you mentioned Baz and Gerloff, two independent riders coming through at the weekend, but Gerloff in particular surprised everyone with what he was able to do. Oh, fantastic. Uh, I mean, he just suddenly took off. Um, it shows you what rider confidence and ability and understanding of the bike. They've obviously got enough of that now. It also shows that the last year's Yamaha isn't so far off this year's Yamaha, which is maybe, and maybe the point of that is that uh, this year's Yamaha isn't much better than last year's Yamaha. They haven't made so many changes forward. But no, Gerloff uh, really made, it was a step change here. Um, he had tested. Uh, he'd obviously understood. Um, there's also part of that human element of he now knows that there's no many races left and he's got to show something. He's, he's frustrated it's taken this long to get where he did. And I think everybody else, uh, although he was slightly miffed when I mentioned it, is quite surprised that he got to where he did as early as he did in this field, in this season, with all the people that are around. And it wasn't just race two. He was showing really well all weekend. And obviously there's a lot of riders didn't make it to the end of race two or, or start race two, which helped him to get on a podium. But I don't think you can look at that performance on Sunday and over the whole weekend as anything but excellent and a big three or four stages in one go jump forward. Yeah, what was interesting for me was when I talked to people in Moto America about Gerloff, they all said that he makes big steps forward. It's not a case of round by round he makes little incremental improvements. He's a rider that, you know, three rounds, six rounds, nine rounds, whatever it is, he makes just this big step forward where he puts everything together. And that's what we saw in Catalonia where from free practice one, obviously it was a fresh tyre at the end of that, but he was third fastest. Went out in the wet, did well. Super Pole was a struggle for him. He ended up on the fifth row of the grid, but in each of the races was coming good. This was a weekend where it was pretty clear from his performances, from Vandermark, from Baz, even some of what we saw from Folger at different times, it was pretty clear that the Yamaha yeah. was the bike to have this weekend, yeah, but yeah. he made use of it. Long corner track. Um, they always say that the Yamaha turns well. It goes, it goes around those long corners well. Where the Ducati struggles, the Yamaha works well. Um, it's, there's a lot of changes of direction, which a Yamaha always handles very sweetly. Um, that is a, a very important element to remember why all the Yamahas were 
there or thereabouts. Okay, top rack crashed and we would have seen him in there as well. But yeah, it was very noticeable that they've been posted missing for a while, with the odd exception, um, after some good results early in the year and other tracks. But the nature of the track, I think, helps the Yamaha because of the nature of the Yamaha. It's got certain things it does really well. And there's a straight here. You know, there's a big, you can pass people straight, but it's not as significant as some of their previous rounds. Yeah, obviously this is a track where you've got a third gear corner leading onto it. It's not like an Aragon where it's all about drive from low revs and a low gear. But uh, just wanted, you mentioned Top Rack there, Gordo, and obviously we saw a big crash for Top Rack and then ruled out of action on Sunday. But uh, this was, again, when you look at Van der Mark, Baz, Top Rack and Gerloff, all four of them very competitive. We saw three Yamahas inside the top five on Sunday and each of them had a really good weekend. Yeah. Um, the, there's, they'd still had issues as well, which I think was the most interesting thing. Vandermark was talking about really bad front tyre for the last few laps of the final race. None of them had a, an absolutely perfect setup the whole time. Obviously, Baz had won, you know, a really shining race. But there's a good series lineup in Yamaha. They've got a lot of good riders. They are the Japanese manufacturer that's spreading its net very wide. All their riders, you can see, and if Fogger comes and you know and he gets a chance to do it as well, then every one of those guys can show on that bike. Whether or not a bike's capable of winning the World Championship outright is another question. But to me, it is about the right rider on it. The Yamaha is just as competitive as anything else. Well, let's look at one Yamaha rider that did win a World Championship this weekend. We saw Andrea Locatelli wrap everything up finally got beaten but uh, able to by still pick up the championship by the weather definitely just by the weather he was two and a half seconds clear when the clouds burst open but uh, this was another weekend where we just saw Locatelli class the field by qu- considerable margin I mean he's he's a machine his team boss has said that he, he arrived in, in World Super Sport as if he'd just qualified from racing university he had all the he learned everything he needed to learn he took to the bike, he didn't sort of look at it and go, oh, well, this doesn't feel like something I'm familiar with. He just got on it and maximised it. The team are very good. The bike is great. Uh, they have a different way of, uh, I've been told they've got a different way of doing things, which is why their bike's always a little bit faster, which is all you need to be. Have The, the Yamaha is basically the fastest, most modern bike in that championship, and theirs is a little bit better than everybody else's because of the way they put it together, whatever. The way they approach it, they're, they're set up, whatever. Um, and don't forget they were they were there last year as well they they were top of the pile last year so there's a lot of elements going together but to do what he's done when I've seen riders like uh, Charpente and Muggeridge completely dominate that championship in various years you've never seen anything like Locatelli and I think there's a million elements we can drag into that why? but it is remarkable to see anybody in any racing class do that. Lucas Mahias is a world champion and the, the most competitive guy in the world. He just always thinks he's going to win. Um, and he hasn't, you gave him a hard time at the weekend and he's obviously still improving and finding, but he's got, Locatelli's got all the answers to everything all the time, even when he looks in trouble. And the only thing that beat him was that crazy race and the weather and red flags and stuff, or else he would have probably won that as well. Yeah, Locatelli, I think obviously the success he's had is unparalleled. But the only sort of comparisons you can make to him are when we saw Crutchlow, Laverty, Sam Lowe's, those kind of riders come in and immediately 
get to the front, but win races, dominate. but no one ever did what we've they seen from Lockett Alley. Yeah. They, you know, and Even was, Keenan never did what we've seen. No, and that and it's, it's just astonishing. Um, and yeah, maybe we need to f- tweak the thing to say, well, that shouldn't be the case, but what do you do? They, 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 they just strip the engine down, it's legal. Always, a lot of people are saying, well, definitely something happening there. Well, obviously not. It's just how you do it. They're doing things perfectly. They are an even more consistent uh, KRT equivalent in Superbike. They're just kings of Supersport right now, and that's it, like Tinkata used to be. Yeah, and what, more so. What, what's going to be interesting for Supersport is going forward what happens within the class because there's a lot of talk of new bikes in the class, and that's what's going to be really important because we've seen it from 2017 onwards with this new spec or six. If you weren't on it, you just weren't anywhere. It's the hardest way. It's hard to do anything other than that bike. Um, Mahias is, is won two races last year on the Kawasaki when everybody thought the Kawasaki was done. The Honda, again, you maybe is a, a rider as much as a team thing, as much as a bike thing. Um, there is a future for 600s because they're still making them. They might not be making them in certain markets. They're selling them in certain markets. But Honda's just done a revamped one. Um, you could carry on with 600s, but it will change. They are now seriously talking about it. And we have to race what people build. I think we're going to end up with quite a differential in CC and even types of bikes in Supersport in the future, which we used to have. There was Ducatis in there, V-Twins in the past, and there was all the, the Japanese four-cylinders. I think we're going to see more varieties soon. Yeah, and we triumph triples, of course, as well in the class, and be interesting to see what's going to happen going forward for us. Just looking at the Supersport class as well, we, it would be remiss of us not to mention Andy Verdoya in race one, and one of the most ridiculous races anyone can remember. But it was it was one of those races, Gordo, where one rider knew the rules and he was he went from absolutely nowhere to winning the race just because he stayed out, gambled on there being a red flag. But when you were sitting in the media centre, I'm sure you were like me, where you were sitting there saying, this is always going to be red flagged. Or at the very least, when... Kyle Smith and uh, Lucas Myers opted not to pit and then they came around turn one into just a wall of rain. When they came around at the end of that lap, it was pretty clear that they had waited too long and they had lost too much time. They were going to drop like a stone anyway and that they should have stayed out and just gambled on there being a red flag. Well, they either came in one... They either stayed out too long or came, or, or came in too, You know, they, they could have done either thing and it would have worked out better for them. Um, if they'd have come in and put on wet, wet tyres they might have carried on it was the fact that they carried on on slicks and then the rain redoubled I think if everybody went in and got slicks on even if the rain got harder maybe we wouldn't have seen a red flag when everybody was on slicks but the fact that it was still active riders with the rain getting worse and worse and worse on slicks I think there was just safety first so yeah the amount of standing water down in certain oh, sections was unbelievable I mean it was wild I mean, it but was wild I want to ask you Gordo because I know where I stand on this. I think Andy Verdoy, you know, the rules are the rules and they are what they are. But there was a, almost every team in Supersport making complaints about it. And you're just, you do have to say at one point, look, there are the rules because in the past we had far too many teams complaining about count backs to a lap. The last time everyone completed a full lap, this rule was brought in for a red flag brought about by a crash. It wasn't brought in for a red flag brought around by wet conditions. Obviously, if you're Myers or less so Kyle Smith, he was pretty pleased to be up on the podium. But if you're those two riders, if you're Andrea Locatelli, like there's an awful lot of reasons to be looking back at that thing. Well, this was one that got away from us. But 
you had some teams going up and down pit lane, running to race direction to make complaints. You had... Yeah, and I can understand why when you look at the, the result sheet, because the problem is that Verdoya actually was slower to the to the final sectors than the riders in front of him that pulled in. This is what they were complaining about. They're saying, well, how can you win the race and have a slower lap? You know, you have a longer time than the guy you've just beaten. There was no margin between first and second when you look at the, the formal result sheet because he was out on track and they didn't cross the same sectors. Yeah, it was, it but, was three what, seconds that he crossed yeah. his intermediate by before the red flag came out. It was, yeah. it was, it was fantastic in terms yeah, of... I mean, but these are the rules. Someone described it to me that Race Direction explained to the, the three team... I saw three team managers come out of Race Direction and grabbed them. And they said to me, what they explained it to us is it's as if they, they've, they've taken the results from if you were overhead in a helicopter looking down and then the red flag comes out. And basically that's that's more or less a decent analogy to say, well, where is everybody? And that's it. So you're not where you passed the, the final flag that you lapped before like we used to do. We've changed it. So it's a fairer result, yeah, probably. Yeah. But much more difficult to explain one. Well, it is and it isn't. Whenever the red flag came out instantly, everyone's able to understand it because whether it was you in the media centre or me in the commentary box, when the red flag came out, it's pretty clear you passed two thirds distance, they're not going to restart the race and the results were going to be what the results were. And straight away, Andy Verdoy had won the race. What was interesting was Kevin Manfredi. He also stayed out, but he didn't quite cross that last intermediate. He was only a couple of seconds shy of it. He ended up in eighth position. So, you know, still decent points for Manfredi, but it was interesting to see that obviously Verdoy gets a little bit lucky, but uh, fair play to him. He's able to pick up the race win. Yeah. And if they want to refine things in the future, say, okay, we'll, we'll call it the way it is, but if there's going to be, the rain gets heavy, they put a mandatory come into the pits. So that you don't have riders. We've changed, remember. Those guys were running around in the wet, not even on treaded road tyres. However little tread there is on them. But they would have been a better way of attack, of, of staying out for another lap than full slicks, which have got great mechanical grip even in the wet, until you start getting standing water. Then you need to push it out of the way with, with a threaded tyre and, and ideally a wet tyre. So maybe they'll look at that again. They'll say, okay, we'll put our flag and say, you must come in this lap to change tyres instead of leaving it up to the, the riders and teams. And then everybody would come in on the lap they were in, you know? Yep. It's not the it's not the strangest rule idea I've ever heard. But uh, Gordo, talking strange. You've I obviously strange, uh, yes. so I, I feel quite strange sometimes as well. Yeah, well you've you've got a bit of a strange experience at the moment. You're out in Spain, you're riding your bike between the races. Obviously we're here just south of Girona right now where we're recording the pod but uh, what's the plan for you between now and Magnicor? how are you making your way up to France uh, I don't really know and I'm keeping one eye on uh, what the travel restrictions are obviously we're, we're operating at a very strange time so I've got to keep an eye on what I can do and with the number one priority of being safe I'm picking hotels and places to stay that are not on the beaten track I'm trying to uh, be in the countryside and away from people as much as possible um, but yeah, I'm going to go through the Pyrenees now. Um, hopefully, if the weather holds up, I got absolutely soaked in the way to do this podcast tonight. Slightly Sorry about that, Gordon. It's fine, but uh, I mean, I am sitting here half wet. Um, You're sitting here a man which, in dire need of, of some new gear. I, I need a change of clothes probably right now, but ultimately, I didn't see rain anywhere in Spain until, I think, yeah, that Catalonia weekend. I never had one drop of rain on me the whole time I've been I've been going around the races and in between. 
Amazing. So you've been spat at though, Shirley Gordo. No. Well, not to my knowledge. <laughs> no, but I mean, it, it's been fantastic doing it on the bike. It's been a, a great experience. Uh, it's difficult. It's not straightforward. You're not opening a car door, throwing a computer, and going in behind it. You've got to be careful. Uh, I've ridden some amazing roads. I've done. I've ridden some incredible heat for a Scotsman. It's just fried. But um, it's it's a very interesting way of doing it. This will be the most memorable year for me, not just because of COVID, but because this is a year that I'm going to do pretty much nearly the whole season on a bike, which I've always kind of wanted to do in my own strangely perverted, strange way of looking at the world. It was like, well, I want to do that one year. Um, the same as one I was always going to do it, me and my wife in a motorhome. The whole season, it's not happened and it probably won't, but I really did want to do that. It keeps things different, fresh. This is a fresh season for me. As I say, not just for COVID, I've been doing it 20 odd years. So, no, I'm loving it, it's great. Uh, but it is not as easy as just having a car or a motorhome or flying in and out. But pff, I don't want to fly after the first two experiences, no way. Yeah, it's horrible. It was pretty tough for the first couple of rounds, for Cancel sure. Cancel flights, mate. No, no, I'm not doing it, you know, not interested. It doesn't look like it's going to get too much better now as well, obviously, with the news from the it's UK. Getting, so it's going to be a good time to be on the bike for the last two rounds of the year. Yes. Right? Obviously, you're still going to be joining us on the podcast for the last two rounds as well. Absolutely. Gordo. Absolutely. But uh, we've also got a Paddockcast podcast for a post uh, Mizano Grand Prix as well with David and Neil but uh, for myself for Gordo big thank you for everyone for listening and be sure to follow us at Paddock Pass Pod and you can follow Gordo at Gordon Ritchie and while he mostly lurks on Twitter he does reply every now and then every now and again and you can support us on the podcast for patreon.com forward slash Paddock Pass Podcast and for three dollars a month or ten dollars a month if you want some bonus features as well we're going to try and make sure that there's more and more paddock pass podcast patreon only specials coming between now and the end of the season so for myself steve english from gordon ritchie big thank you to everyone for listening to today's show cheers I did not think we were going to get through to the end of that show because the battery light has been flashing on the recorder right from the start but the batteries were all over the other side of the hotel room, so just let it go.